Welcome everybody and thank you for tuning into the Spark Experience. My name is Mario Matichek and I'm your host. If you're listening to this podcast, it means that you're interested in change and learning new things. On the Spark Experience, we talk about business strategies, mindset strategies and coaching strategies to ignite your potential. Today we are joined by Joseph Menzel, who is the owner and founder of Massive Joe's, which started off as a passionate side hustle while he was studying law and engineering at university and has now ended up becoming one of the largest supplement companies in Australia. Joe was able to start a business with very little, but he had to be extremely strategic in how he would turn his goals into reality. Joe will take us through his own journey, both business and bodybuilding, not worrying about the opinion of others, and how he is using the COVID-19 pandemic as an opportunity to get better. Make sure you stay tuned to find out why you should go all in on your passion and why using setbacks as opportunities will help you achieve your goals. Welcome everybody to the Spark Experience. It's an absolute honor to have Joseph Mensal on the show today where we will discuss that in order to achieve success, you need to become obsessed and how to use setbacks as opportunities to become better. Welcome, Joe, and thank you for your time. Hey, how you doing, brother? Good, good, bro. Thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Pleasure to be on uh, on this podcast. Is this going to be like technically the first episode? Uh, no, I've done a couple of episodes, but I haven't released oh, any yet. <laughs> stage. But yeah, so it's an it's an it's an honor, nevertheless, to be asked to uh, to be on the show. So you know, I'm a big fan of yours and a big advocate of yours, and I love what you're doing. So you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on your show and, and have a little bit of a talk to the listeners. No, thank you, man. I and obviously you know, that I appreciate the stuff that you do and I look up to you as well. And yeah, I think what you've done so far in your life has been amazing with your personal life and your business. So, you know, it's, you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. Keep it up. So would you mind giving the listeners just a short rundown of your journey so far? So from the beginning of, you know, when you first started, when you were playing sports into how, how you got into business and yeah, everything that's happened in between. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to kind of tell the story and splice, you know, my my kind of fitness journey in with my business journey because the two are very much, um, you know, pretty much married, uh, for lack of a better term. They're very, very much intertwined with each other. So when I was younger, I kind of grew up, I grew up playing basketball. That was kind of my my sport of choice um, and played, oh man, I think I, I got into basketball when I was like 10 or 11 years old, you know, and played in until I was 18 when I did uh, a significant injury that kind of ended anything that, that I could do in terms of basketball as a career. And I always had an entrepreneurial streak, you know, even as a little kid, I'd always kind of be interested in entrepreneurial ventures, business ventures, buy this and sell it at this price and make a profit or find a little market here that no one else was, no one else saw an opportunity in. So, you know, a couple of things growing up back in high school, I used to go and buy, you know, 24, 30 pack cans of Coca-Cola, take them to the, take them to school and undercut the tuck shop and, you know, you know, buy them for like 50 cents a can and sell them for like $2 a can and, you know, make a little bit of money that way. I used to import, uh, do you remember uh, when Lance Armstrong had the Live Strong Foundation? He had those little yellow bracelets. Yeah, yeah, the the bracelets, yep. Yeah, like the original original silicon silicon bracelets. Um, And Nike used to make them and you couldn't get them in Australia at the time. So I used to import them from the US and sell them to all my mates, you know, who played basketball. That was kind of my network at the time and everyone wanted them. So, you know, I'd import them for, I don't know, they cost me like a dollar or a dollar fifty to import and I'd sell them for like five bucks. So I was always kind of, you know, wheeling and dealing and, and just, I, I just took a very natural interest in, you know, I now know it's called entrepreneurship. At the time, I didn't really know what it was called. It was just like, well, you know, I'm, I'm interested in kind of wheeling and dealing <laughs> and, and finding opportunities. 
so what then happened to accelerate a little bit? So I was playing basketball, did a significant injury when I was 18 years old, stress fractures in my lower back. Second time I did them, the first time was when I was 14, second time when I was 18. And that effectively ended anything that I was going to do with basketball. You know, still to this day, uh, stress fractures where I have them in my lumbar spine never heal. So still to this day, I can't do high impact running, jumping, anything like that. But I, I just can't do it. I you know, get in, intense pain in my lower back and it's just not, not, uh, not good at all. Did the stress fracture yeah. happen from just overtraining? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was just, uh, you know, it, unfortunate, <laughs> unfortunate incidents and just, yeah, just overuse. So, I mean, you, your background is tennis, so you know how intensive, you know, the, the top level mm. kids coming up in the sport, what their training schedules look like. So, you know, similar for basketball as well. I was playing, you know, two, three times a day, every single day, you know, as a teenager. So it just took it out on my body and the wear and tear developed the stress fractures. And by the time I was 18, it was game over. But through that period of, of, you know, all the basketball and the training and the strength and conditioning and the fitness regime and all of that, I was introduced to weight training, um, you know, primarily for strength and conditioning, specifically for basketball. So to get stronger to play the game of basketball and, you know, weight training, and you would see this as a tennis coach, some athletes hate it and some athletes really enjoy it. And there doesn't seem to be much of a middle ground. It's very kind of polarizing. You either love it or you hate it. I was one of the guys that loved it. I really enjoyed going into the gym and lifting weights and seeing my body progress and get stronger. I really enjoyed it. So when uh, my basketball career ended at 18, I took a, you know, more of that interest that I had in weights and just kind of, you know, lent into it and spent more time training, you know, more time in the gym. And then, you know, I found out about bodybuilding, competitive bodybuilding as a sport. I kind of always knew about it because, you know, I'm a big fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno, you know, those 70s and 80s bodybuilders. Mm. But I didn't realize there was like, you know, local bodybuilding competitions. So found out about those and, and took an interest in that. And I was like, well, you know, I might try and compete in, you know, just a little natural amateur bodybuilding show here in Adelaide. And so I did. I did my first competition when I was 19. And that was kind of the transition from, all right, basketball as, you know, my sporting interest has kind of finished. And now that door's shut well and truly. And now it's allowing me to open this other door up into bodybuilding. And uh, that was the start of my bodybuilding career and has obviously led to where I am now, you know, a, a professional men's physique bodybuilder on the, on the world stage effectively. So how that ties into business is at the time, so we're talking 2004, 2005, when I really took an interest in competitive bodybuilding, I started doing research on, you know, things that I could do to get a competitive advantage, to get better. You know, as a natural athlete, it was supplements. So it was protein powder, pre-workout, creatine at the time was very, very new, intra-workout supplementation. So I started researching and, and, you know, just for my own personal physique development, took an interest in supplementation. And I noticed, this is where my entrepreneurial streak comes out and kind of spotting opportunities. I noticed that you couldn't get a lot of the good supplements in Australia at all. They just what weren't available. Just weren't available. You just couldn't get them. Hmm. Whereas in the US, there was a change in laws in the late 90s in the US at, that effectively allowed the supplement industry to explode in the US. So these companies in the US had, you know, amazing tasting protein powders, awesome pre-workouts. They had, you know, creatine availability was amazing. The price was so cheap. 
And so I was like, oh, here we go. Here's, here's, you know, here's my entrepreneurial yeah. street comes out. Here's a business opportunity. So I started importing from the US a lot of these supplements and selling them to, to guys at the gym that were training with me, you know, really small because they, you know, they saw me progressing as a bodybuilder. My physique was progressing. I was winning competitions. They took an interest in what I was doing. So I started selling to, you know, I was training at the Adelaide University gym at the time I was at, at uni studying. And so I started selling to the university gym. And next thing I'm like, well, you know, if I'm selling, you know, and I was selling a fair bit of stuff, you know, probably to almost all of the members there. I'm like, well, you know, if there's this big of a market just in one university gym, maybe I should go and have a look at other university gyms. Mm. So I start driving, start loading the, loading the car up with supplements and driving around to university gyms and literally selling supplements out the boot of my car as a 19 year old to all of the gyms at the university gyms around Adelaide. And then I'm like, well, man, I'm selling so much of this stuff. Why don't I look at online retail? You know, I kind of dabbled in on online retail, um, kind of got burnt a little bit. And you have to put this in context. This is in the early 2000s. You know, I got burnt a little bit with fraud and whatnot. Obviously much more difficult to happen now. But I was like, well, you know, why don't I try and do this online? So I started importing, importing the supplements, still bigger and bigger quantities, and uh, the very first online venture that I did was opened a, an eBay store and started selling supplements on eBay. And I was the first person in Australia to sell supplements on eBay. At the time, nobody was doing it. No one had seen the opportunity. And at that point, my sales just went through the roof. As you can imagine, you know, mm. I'm selling to like three, four, five gyms here in Adelaide. And now I have this market of the, the whole Australia who's interested in supplements selling them through eBay. And really kind of just exploded at the time. And I was like, okay, this is actually a real business opportunity here. This is not, you know, selling cans of Coke to, to guys at school. This is not selling Livestrong bracelets to, you know, guys in my basketball federation. This is a legit business opportunity. And when I made that connection, that was like, okay, um, I, you know, what, what am I going to do here? Because at the time, you know, I'm at university, I'm studying, I'm studying law and engineering, very difficult degrees in terms of the amount of time and effort that went into them. I'm also training and competing in, in, you know, I was an amateur at the time, but, you know, competing in bodybuilding competitions also takes up a lot of time and effort and energy. And now I've got this business opportunity that I'm like, well, I really want to just see what I can do with this. So, you know, it was an incredible balancing act at that point in time. And the balancing act lasted for, you know, six or seven years while I, while I was at university and while I finished my studies. But effectively, I took the business from a local, let's call it a supplement delivery business at the time, to one of the biggest on, standalone online supplement retailers in the country in my early 20s. And was that in like a 12-month yeah. period? It wouldn't be 12 months. It would be you know, I was, so I was at university. I started at university in 2004 and I finished in 2011. So I was at university for almost eight years. During that period, you know, there was just incremental growth here and there. But the, the time when it really exploded was when I went, you know, online for the first time, um, which would have been, you know, probably like 06, 07 in there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So a couple of years after you were doing the deliveries. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. And then so to fast forward, then I finished my university studies. You know, I had a job at, the, at that point in time with one of the biggest oil and gas companies in the country called Santos, um, an Adelaide-based company. And I left that and I was like, you know, I just, I, I, I want to, I, I need to give this a red hot go. I just want to see, you know, I've done, I've got, 
I've got my you know, quote unquote insurance policy with my engineering degree and my law degree. If shit goes wrong, I've always got that to fall back on. But I really want to just see what I can do with this business. So this is 2011, 2012, made the decision to commit to the business full time. You know, this whole time as well, I'm running the business. I'm living at home with my parents. I'm running the business literally out of my bedroom and then the bedroom to the spare room and then the spare room to the garage and then the garage to the garage at my sister's house down the road. You know, I was just I was real like, like legit bootstrapping this shit, man. Uh, That's amazing. From the ground up. But then when I, when I finished my studies and I made the decision to commit to the business full time, I signed my first lease on, you know, a proper office warehouse, you know, actually started employing people to work in the business, opened the first shop front, opened the second shop front, got into retail stores, got into distribution, got into apparel, you know, and that's really that 2011, 2012 was really when I committed to the business full time and really when I was able to invest the time and effort to kind of take it next level. And I guess that's the catalyst for where the business is at at this point in time with the retail stores, with the website, with the apparel line, with all of the uh, social media, with the media side of the business, you know, everything that we've got going on really was you know the seeds of that were were kind of sowed at that point in time where I was able to commit all of my time and all of my effort to the business back in 2011 2012 the amazing thing is is that not many people would understand the actual hustle you had to go through from you know the the early 2000s and then to 2011 and 12 but when you first started yeah. you you got into your first factory throughout yeah. the let's say the 5 to 8 years did you yeah. save like a lot of your cash to that way, you know, have a bit of a buffer? So if the factory went wrong and then the employees or, or did you not have much and then you decided I'm just going to go for it, see what happens? It's a very good question. I've actually never been asked that question before. So, um, and I'm not surprised because I think I have a pretty good idea of how your mind works. So um, it's a great question. I was really fortunate in the fact that the way that my studies were set up, I studied um, mechanical engineering and law. And the way that Adelaide University set up my degrees was I actually finished engineering after the first four years. So by the end of 2007, I was a qualified mechanical engineer. So I was quite fortunate in the fact that I picked up paid work experience at the end of 2006 as an undergraduate. And I did such a good job as an undergraduate in my work experience that the company I was working for, Santos, offered to take me on a part-time basis while I finished my legal studies. And they were paying me, you know, effectively a graduate engineer's wage, which back at the time, you know, probably would have been 120 dollars to $150,000 a year. Obviously, you know, I wasn't getting paid that much because I was only working two to three days a week. So it was kind of scaled, but it was still, you know, a fair amount of money. And I was living at home with my parents. So, you know, I didn't have significant living expenses. So I was able to save a lot of that money from 06, 07, 08, 09, 2010, 2011. So I, I was able to save, you know, money that allowed me to, yeah, go and sign this lease, have, have a deposit for a lease, have a little bit of a buffer in there because I knew that, you know, I was going to have to take on significant business expenses, especially employing staff and whatnot, increasing stock inventory levels, so on and so forth. There was going to be a period where I was in the red significantly and I needed the cash reserves to be able to see that out. That's kind of where, where the savings came from. But I mean, even so, man, it wasn't a big amount of money. I would say, you know, even back then, it probably would have been like 50000 
Yeah. And all of it went into the business. So it was like all my chips are in. You know, I'm all in on this. Yeah, it was. Uh, but that's where, that's where it came from. Uh-huh. I see. Yeah, no, it is an interesting thing because like even, um, you know, when I was thinking about starting my own business, I made sure that I had, you know, a good 12 months of cash buffer to make sure that, you know, geez, if things don't go well, at least you've got your cash to sit on and then yeah. rethink, you know, what you're going to do next and, you know, what you're going to do moving forward. But the inspirational thing there is people would see you now and say, you know, you started in 2005, you have 10 re- retail stores, 38 staff, and, you know, probably the most influential and inspiring social media in the fitness industry slash business. So those people that are seeing that right now, and let's say they're listening to this as well, they need to understand that, you know, you're not an overnight success. There was lots of struggle. You had to, you had to scrape through, you had to live at home, you know, you had to work a part-time job and then you took the risk. And like you said, you had 50 grand and, you know, you put all your chips in. What was your um, mentality like at that stage? Like, was there a bit of fear? Were, Were you scared like of failing potentially? It's yeah, it's, it's one of these weird things, Mario, where, you know, I, I've never, I don't know if it's the way that I'm wired or that, you know, there's probably a fair bit to do with, with how I was raised by my parents. So I need to give them a lot of credit as well. I've never really been guided by fear. And I know that for a lot of people, the fear of failure, you know, the fear of other people's opinions, you know, there's a lot of fears that they just can't get over and, and, you know, prevents them from taking risks and prevents them from doing things that they really want to do because these fears are just so strong that they kind of, I guess, overpower their ambition. I've never really had that, you know, even thinking back to when I was a kid, like, you know, I never fear of position on it was always like, well, you know, if I try something, can I fail? Well, at least I tried, Mm. you know, like, who, who is this person to point the finger and say, ah, you know, laugh at me. Ha ha, you failed, you failed. Well, motherfucker, you didn't even try in the first place. <laughs> so your opinion means nothing to me. It's completely invalid. I couldn't care what you say. Yeah. So, and even to this day, I empathize with it, but it's very difficult for me to understand those fears. Yeah. I think because I never really had them. I can never really remember having them. For me, the thing that I'm most afraid of, the biggest driver for me is regret. Mm. is not trying things is is you know getting towards the end of my life and you know I'm, i've got a few days to live or you know i'm on my deathbed or whatever it is and going you know fuck i really wish that i did that because i that was a that was a little burning desire that i had and i never took the risk or i never took the leap mm. or i never pursued that opportunity because the fear of failure or the fear of other people's opinions or self doubt or whatever it was was too strong and I couldn't push through it. That's what drives me. That's the thing that keeps me up at night is the fear of regret. So I'm always going to take a risk or pursue an opportunity rather than not because of the fear of failure or the fear of other people's opinions. I see. And that's something that I definitely really, really respect a lot about you is that, you know, I share a very similar outlook on, you know, what's the worst thing that can actually happen if you do lose or if you do fail? Nothing. Yeah. Like, you know, or ultimately, if you actually do really care about people's opinions, then you're actually, yeah. you're, not, you're not really going to achieve too much in your life if you're aiming yeah. to achieve extraordinary things. Because mm. um, people always point the finger and laugh and say, you can't do this, you can't do that. But if you can get mm. past that and realize that, you know, you could fail and lose, you know, money, that's an external thing you can always make money back and the thing that you can't actually make back is time and like you said you're 70 or 80 and you're you're going to die you're like oh no you know i live with regret because i didn't start up my own business or i didn't 
try and become a professional athlete. It's funny as well. Sorry to interrupt, but no, okay. I, I think this, this is an important point to make because at the time of shooting this podcast, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. And one of the beautiful things about this pandemic is, is exposing a lot of people for the bullshit that they feed themselves. Mm. So a lot of people think that what they're afraid of is failing right? A lot of people kind of, you know, they don't try things because they're afraid. They, they, they convince themselves that they're afraid of failing. They convince themselves that, you know, if I try this and it doesn't work, I don't know how I'm going to be able to deal with that. You know, if I try this and I lose all my money, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it back. If I try this and I lose all this time, I don't know how I'm going to be able to cope with that. What the current situation, like everything's failing right now. Mm. You know, there's maybe 5% of shit that's not failing. The far majority of everything is failing. So, it's putting everybody in a position where they're having to confront the fact that it's not actually the fear of failure that's stopping them from doing what they really want to do. It's the fear of other people's opinion. It's the fear of what's my, what's my mom going to say? What's my dad going to say? What's my brother or sister going to say? What's my best friend going to say? What's people on social media who I've never met in my fucking life going to say? That I think is, you know, this, the, 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 the current pandemic is really making that so much more noticeable, so much more apparent to the point where I think a lot of people are probably waking up to that. And I hope that a lot of people are forming the opinion that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what you know your family thinks, what your friends think, what people on social media think. You, what you said was exactly correct. You have a certain amount, like all of us right now have a countdown timer. Yeah. Mine's different to yours. Yours is different to your siblings. Mine's different to my best friends. But one thing's for certain, we all have a countdown timer. And at some point, the time's going to run out. And when the time runs out, all of these fears mean nothing because you've got no time to do anything with. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Yeah, you couldn't have said any better considering the situation that we're in. And it's it, people would still realize that, you know, they don't take a, a lot of chances or opportunities because they're worried, you know, that what their friends are going to say or that they're going to lose friends because they become more successful in a financial yeah. way, that is, or whatever it potentially could be. But like as an example, how can you teach people to get over that? Like, or is that something that you're completely wired with? Because this is a completely changed mindset from a growth to fixed almost or fixed to growth. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's, there's an element of that in it, in it, Mario. I think that the problem with it is, I, you know, I, I think about this a lot because the, the way that I am wired and the way that I've been raised and my life experience, you know, has kind of molded me a certain way that makes it difficult for me to understand how, you know, other people's mindset works and how other people process things and how other people um, perceive things. I think for a lot of people, they just haven't found something that they are so passionate about and mm. so obsessed with and so consumed with that the fears that stop them from doing it overpowering that feeling of obsession and that feeling of ambition and that feeling of that burning desire to do something. I feel like that's a big driver is a lot of people just haven't found something that fits that mold mm -hmm. that can overcome the fears that they have of failure and other people's opinions and self-doubt and all that shit. I think that's a big driver. And then I think the other big driver is people, you know, and this is the way, you know, it's just the way humans are wired is our perception of time is so fucked up. I just think that a lot of people think that they're going to live forever. Yep. They think they have all the time in the world and they think that 
it's never going to run out. But at the same, and this is what I mean, the perception is so fucked up. At the same time, they want to try something new and invest in something new and have the success come overnight. Mm. So on one hand, we think we're going to live forever. We've got all the time in the world. On the other hand, when we think we want something, we want it right here, right now. Yep. And that's particularly prevalent with, you know, people in my generation, people in your generation, let's say anybody under the age of about 40. Yeah. Particularly prevalent. Yeah, that's, that's so true. It's, uh, there's so much instant gratification these days and no one wants to wait for anything to achieve any success. And like, you know, and that's why your story is amazing because it's been, you know, 15 to 16 years now. And, you know, you've, I'm sure you've had lots of struggles, which I definitely want to talk about, but the mindset to actually even go into business needs to be so different compared to everyone else's mindset because, well, you are, people are going to laugh at you. People are going to say, you can't do this. So if you can't get over that and you can't move past that fact, then, Mm -hmm. you know, you probably shouldn't start a business. Like you shouldn't try to do it. Well, you probably haven't developed the right mindset or had the right life experience or Mm. you're just not ready you know, I kind of pause on that because, because I, I, I'm very careful about saying that because you're never going to be ready. At some point you just have to pull the trigger. Yeah. But, you know, if you haven't found the right thing or you haven't developed the, the right mindset, you know, I mean, business is a grind, man. You know, you know how it is. Running a business is one of the most stressful, most consuming, most difficult things that anybody can do. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of people go into business thinking that it's all sunshine and Lambos and they don't understand the amount of struggle and the amount of challenge and the amount of difficulty and the amount of responsibility and the amount of stress that goes into a business to get even just a glimmer of success. Mm. No, no, that's exactly right. But like, and also people are afraid of, I don't know, I could be wrong here, but it seems like people are afraid to become obsessed with a particular thing that they're trying to achieve in case they do fail. So they've already got failing in their mind. You know, they don't want to become obsessed. Like as an example with myself, when I was playing tennis at a young age, like I knew that, and my dad drummed it into my head. If you want a career out of this, you're going to have to become obsessed with it. You're going to live it. You're going to eat it. You're going to breathe it. And if you're not, then don't even bother giving it a try because yeah. Well, you're not going to get too far. Same thing with business. Like if you're not going to give it a proper crack, then you're not going to get the results you actually want. A hundred percent. And the reason for that is because it's competitive, right? So if you're not, if you're not obsessed, if you're not going all in, if you're not putting all of your effort, one of your competitors is, and they're just going to beat you. True. Very, you know, true. they're just going to, they're just going to outwork you. They're just going to outlast you. You got no chance. Mm. So for everyone listening right now, like what are, what are a couple of the, um, the struggles that you've had, the challenges, the failures, and that, that how have they helped you become where you are or who you are right now? Man, I, I, <laughs> we, could, we could do a whole podcast on this, this uh, question <laughs> in particular. I mean, let's take the current situation, for example. You know, that's, it's, it's timely. Let's talk about that. Mm. So the, the current pandemic, the decisions that, our government has made regarding social distancing and staying at home and shutting down, you know, gyms in particular is huge for the industry that I'm in, you know, the, the effect of that one month. So looking at just one month of this current situation. So I look at, you know, April, 2020 and compare it to April, 2019. So nine of our 10 stores are closed. 
Uh, our business revenue is down 55%. So less than half of what we did in April last year, when usually we grow year on year. So I would expect to see April 2020, you know, 110, 120% of what we did in April 2019. It's 45%, Mario. Mm. You know, like this is, this is by far, this situation right now is by far the biggest and most difficult business challenge I've ever had to face. All of the other challenges that I've had to face up until this point have definitely prepared me to conquer this challenge. You know, had I not gone through the challenge of, you know, having to close retail stores that didn't work, having to remove staff members from the business who I considered very close friends of mine who weren't performing, you know, having to deal with financial struggles when, you know, we're in the importing business. So we have shipments that we're expecting to be here in a certain period of time and we budget our cash flow for that and then they turn up three months late. Mm. You know, how, do you, how do you juggle the, the financial implications of that? When you still have to pay your supplier, you've got no sales, you've got no money coming in. How do you juggle the, the, the finances? How do you make that work? You know, there's so many, man. There's so, so, so many. But I think that you know, the, the way that I look at any business challenge that presents itself, no matter what, you know, what the magnitude is, what the difficulty is, what it kind of looks like, how stressful it is. I always approach challenges with the mindset of, all right, it's time to level up. All right. I've never, I've never had to deal with this before. That's why it's difficult. That's why it's stressful. That's why it's confronting. That's why it's uncomfortable. But this is my chance to develop a new skill. Mm. This is my chance to figure out how to get through this challenge. This is my chance to, you know, earn my stripes a little bit more. That's kind of how I look at business challenges where a lot of people will look at challenges and they'll go, oh, shit, the bed, you know, I got to deal with this shit. How am I going to get through this challenge? How am I supposed to deal with, you know, uh, this store not performing or this staff member not performing or, you know, this shipping company's messed up this shipment. It's not going to be here for three months you know, with a very negative mindset. Whereas whenever a challenge kind of presents itself, even when this, the COVID-19 came about in March, I was like, all right, let's go. It's time. It's time to level up. This is exactly what I need to get to the next level. Yes. It's interesting because I spoke to you about it when it first happened and, you know, you were Mm. telling me about how the business had been, you know, impacted drastically and you were closing all your stores. But even when we were talking, you you didn't actually seem to be that bothered by it. You, you straight away, all right, bam, you got onto your video videos about workouts and then you took your business online where a lot of gyms and, you know, even other, let's say businesses, they've just completely shut their doors and, you know, no contact with anyone because I don't know, maybe, I don't know, I don't know what's happened, but it seems like, yeah, they're just complete panic mode, but you have actually risen. I've always believed that the best businesses or, you know, they go from good to great are formed in crises. Like, you know, and this is a crisis. And, you know, you're doing the best and you're doing what you can do. And then you'll come out, you know, in two, three years, even stronger. Um, So, but that's, that's the important part. The important part is, is that you've actually viewed this as, okay, it's a great time to upskill. It's a good time Mm -hmm. to, you know, change things up instead of, okay, I don't have enough cash flow or, you know, I can't afford this or I can't afford that. But let's say for a business, let's say if you didn't have enough cash, what would happen? Yeah you'd figure out how to get around it. The cash flow situation is just one situation, 
right? That's one element of the challenge. It's very easy. And this is where it comes, you know, Mario, this is where it hundred percent comes down to mindset mm. is, and you know, I'm having, I'm having a lot of arguments with people at the moment, friendly arguments, but uh, <laughs> let's call them disagreements. I'm having a lot of disagreements with people at the moment where, you know, they have the attitude of, you know, my business has been shut down by the government. You know, I've got no income. How am I supposed to pay this? How am I supposed to pay that? My business is finished. You know, this is the end of the road for me. I'm like, well, if you've got that mindset, you're probably right. Mm. If you think this is the end of the road for you, if you're negative about it, if you can't figure out a way through this and look at the opportunities that are coming from it, then it is the end of the line for you. So accept that. But if you choose to look at it in, in a positive light and optimistically and go, okay, all right, how are we going to get through this? You know, I run a, uh, let's say I run a, a, a restaurant or a cafe or something that probably, you know, with the current restrictions been the most severely affected. Mm, definitely. All right. Well, first thing I need to do, I need to cut my outgoings. So let me talk to the people who, let me talk to the landlords. Let me talk to the staff. Let me talk to my suppliers. Let me figure out how I can put some buffers in place so that I can just stem the flow of cash bleeding out of the business. I need to get my outgoings under control. I need to get my expenses under control. That's step number one. All right, step number two, how can we change the business model for this point in time, for this period in time, so that we can start generating revenue? Okay, well, we can't have people in the restaurant, so let's look at our online offering. Let's look at what we're doing with social media. How can we get more people to hear about the business and come and visit us so that we can do takeaway offerings or we can do, uh, you know, I don't know, This is I'm just spitballing ideas to you at the mm. moment, but you got to look at the positives. you got to look at the the opportunities, you got to rise to the challenge. If you can't rise to the challenge, you got no business being in business. Yes. Yes. No, I couldn't agree. Because more. what's going to happen when the next challenge comes along? And that one's too difficult. Oh, well, there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be recessions, depressions, you name it. So if you can't actually figure out a way to stay in business at that time, then, you know, you probably, you're not going to get the rewards you deserve in, you know, the good times. But I also think that like a lot of businesses that started, you know, let's say in the last five to seven years have had unbelievable times. The economy is growing. Everything's almost too easy, man. Like there is yeah. no struggle. And now, you know, people are spending, you know, heaps of cash on things they probably shouldn't. And then when a crisis yeah. like this happens, they're like, oh, well, I have to close because I don't have enough money for my business. But that's where if you're actually obsessed with your business, you'd have your own account for that to make sure you can get through 12 months of crap pretty much. Well, you know, I've done a, a bunch of content specific to the to the current COVID-19 uh, economic crisis in particular, and I call it the great exposer. Mm. And the reason why I call it the great exposer is because it's exposing a lot of people and a lot of character traits for what they are. So, you know, to tie this in back to what you said, you know, the state of the economy over, you know, the last five to seven years really pretty much since the GFC. You go GFC 2008, you know, give that a couple of years for the economies to rebound and you've had pretty much a decade. You've had yeah. pretty much 10 years of economic prosperity. If you've been able to grow a business in that time, fantastic. This is the test now. This is where the fake entrepreneurs and the people who shouldn't be in business are being exposed mm. because now it's not good. So now we're going to see who has growth mindset, who has fixed mindset, Who's able to spot opportunities? Who's able to focus on the positives? Who's not? Who's going to focus on the negatives? Who's going to wave the white flag at this point? 
Who's going to go to the government and try and get handouts? Because that's the only way that they know how to get through this fucking scenario at the moment is to ask other people to do it for them because they haven't developed the skills that are required to get through an economic downturn. Mm. So this is exposing a lot of people who have had it too easy for too long. And now, you know, we're seeing who the real entrepreneurs are. We're seeing who the people who can actually run businesses are. Very, very true. Very good point. Yeah, look, I mean, it's a it's a brutal message for, you know, uh, a lot of people, I assume that, you know, maybe don't want to hear it. But if you're wanting to go to that next level and, you know, over a 20 or 30 year period, have a, you know, have a very successful business and, you know, do well in that area of your life, well, you're going to have to actually, you know, at least once a decade get through an absolute storm like what's happening right now. Like I've always believed that, if you can't take criticism and use criticism to actually, you know, fire you up in a positive way and make you better, then yeah, I, I don't actually see how you can keep growing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, it, it, it is harsh and I do get passionate about it. And like I said to you, I've had a lot of disagreements with people <laughs> over the last, the last couple of months regarding this. But the fact of the matter is, man, it's the truth. Yes. You know, and some people just don't like hearing the truth and, my default position is, is positive no matter what. So if this current economic climate is exposing you and, you know, exposing the fact that, you know, you haven't developed the skills required to be a successful entrepreneur, you haven't really developed the skills required to be a good business owner. This is the test. That's not the end of the road. Mm. This is a lesson. So say your business doesn't make it through this. Well, what did you learn? This is your chance to upskill. This is your chance so then when we have the next recession or the next depression in 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is, you learn the lessons from this one and you're able to get through the next one. Yes. No, so, exactly. you know, it, my, my message probably comes across harsh because I'm very passionate about it, but it comes from, you know, a very positive and caring place mm. where exposure is always a good thing. You know, yep. I've been exposed in business hundreds of times since 2005, where I thought, you know, I, I, to be honest, I thought my shit didn't stink. Mm. I thought that I knew what I was doing and <laughs> I got exposed and I didn't know what I was doing. So I had to confront that situation and go, you know what? I haven't developed those skills. I don't know how to get through this. And I fucked up, mm. but I learned the lessons from it. And next time I won't make the same mistakes. Exactly right. I think that type of, you know, look on challenges and, you know, tough times is very important. You can't take it too personal. Like you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know a certain skill, like, yeah, like right now, as an example with myself, like I'm a complete beginner at podcasting. So what do I do? I jump into the deep end and I just give it a crack. What's the worst that's going to happen? No one listens. I, I get to learn from who I talk to. So that's a positive. You should go back on the Massive Joe's YouTube channel and watch my first ever YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did before doing all did of you? this. And yeah, it's a, oh, they're bad. They're man, so bad. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing though. Like I, like, but that's what, like as an example, when I first said to you, like, how did you start? What equipment do you use? And you're like, man, stop asking. Just start. Like, just do it. Yeah. Like, do it. Yeah. Like, you know, you're going to learn. If you're not doing good enough questions and you're not researching your people enough or whatever it could be as an example. So I thought, you know what, just jump in, see what happens. What else are you going to do in this time apart from, you know, pick other people's brains who are better and learn? That's, yeah, you know, exactly. That's, that's the whole point. Like for those ones that, let's say the business owners right now, especially in the industry you're in, 
and mm. they're you know in a very bad spot, negative state. What do you what What's your advice? What type of strategies would you give to them? Um, I think my first piece of advice is spot the opportunities. You know, look at what the current. You know, whenever something moves, whether it moves in a positive direction or a negative direction, or sideways, or up and down, or backwards or forwards, it doesn't matter. Wherever there's movement, there's opportunity. So spot the opportunities perhaps the opportunity might be for you to you know pivot your business and you know look at doing something slightly different a different product offering a different service offering perhaps it might be to trim some of the fat out of your business you know perhaps you're a little bit too top heavy when it comes to expenses or staffing or you know business overheads and perhaps this is an opportunity to go well you know this is going to cost us a little bit we're going to have to take this punch right in the face mm-hmm. but it's for the greater good of the business. And in five years time, we're going to be happy that we made those difficult decisions to trim some of that fat. And that's, you know, the first piece of advice is to spot the opportunities. And people, when I say spot the opportunities, they look very short-sighted, you know, so they're looking at things that are right, right in front of their face right now. And they're not considering perhaps an overarching opportunity that's going to have a payoff in five to 10 years, Mm. not in five to 10 days. Um, the second thing is to maintain your growth mindset, maintain your positive mindset. So if this current situation is exposing a lot of your weaknesses, don't take those personally, use it as constructive criticism. We do need to have an offering so that if something like this happens again, our revenue doesn't go to zero Yeah. or, you know, we, we do need to rethink our business model because, this has completely exposed our weaknesses. We've actually never even considered our weaknesses as a business. And this is a great opportunity to review them and make sure that we fix those weaknesses. So that if something like this happens again, we're not exposed as much. So, you know, I think probably those are the, the two biggest pieces of advice that I give to, you know, to any business owner, really, regardless yeah. of how much you've been affected, you know, in, in the current circumstances. No, no, that's good. I think that's fantastic advice. But the spotting the opportunities not in a five to 10 day, you know, result, but five to 10 years is so much more important. I just, there's too much short term thinking and not longer term, which gives you that time and less anxiety as well. Like you don't have to achieve extraordinary success in 12 months. You know, it takes 10 years, five, 10 years, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, a, a little analogy that, uh, that I like to use when it comes to, um, you know, speed versus patience. And it's something that, uh, you know, one of the people who I kind of look up to in the business realm is a gentleman by the name of uh, Ed Milet. Yep. He runs an awesome podcast. It's called the Max Out Podcast. If you guys haven't listened, you definitely should. But something that Ed says, uh, which, which you know, I've found just resonated with me 100%. and something that I've always done. I've just never really known how to articulate it. But what he says is he says, you need to move with the speed of a sprinter, but with the patience of a marathon runner. So you want to move in the micro very fast. You want to sprint. But in the macro, you have to have the awareness that you're going to be doing this for a long period of time. Mm. I think a lot of people make the mistake where they use the speed analogy with how long they think it's going to take them to get results. So they're like, if I go really, really fast for a really short period of time, I'm going to get results really quickly. 
Or the other mistake is people go, well, I know this is going to take a long time, so I'm going to pace myself and move at a relatively slow speed. Yeah. Both of those situations are the wrong way to consider it. You need to consider it that you need to move as quickly as you can with the speed of a sprinter, but it's going to take you the time it, run, the time it takes to compete a marathon. Mm. So your pace needs to be as fast as possible, and you're going to have to keep up that pace for a very long period of time. So put in the hard work daily, don't waste a minute. And, you know, obviously that, you know, sprint in the daily, you know, tasks that you need to get done, but also expect that it's going to be a marathon, five years, 10 years. Expect that you're going to be doing it for a long period of time, man. Mm. Yeah, see, that's, uh, I don't feel like a lot of people have the patience. And even like sometimes I get a little bit frustrated with certain things, but then I look at the bigger picture and say, you know, this is going to take, you know, a decade, two decades even. And if you're not willing to play the long game, then don't do it because you're going to take shortcuts that are going to hurt you anyway. Yeah, 100%. I'd love to get your thoughts on on this, you know, like this subject because you went to university for your law and engineering degree. What do you recommend more? Real world business experience? And so like jumping into it without much knowledge or going to university for three to five years, studying a business degree or whatever it is, and then starting a business? Yeah, it's a good question, man. And it's a difficult question for me to answer because now I have the benefit of hindsight. Mm. So, you know, answering that question now with the benefit of hindsight, knowing the sort of person that I am and the sort of person that I've developed into, you know, one of my biggest regrets is how long I spent at university because, you know, I should have been out of there at 19, 20 years old, as soon as I stumbled on this business opportunity and should have gone all in at that point. Mm-hmm. That's with hindsight though. I yes. could never have seen that at the time because I didn't know what sort of a, an entrepreneur I was going to develop into. I didn't know what sort of a business person I was going to develop into. At that time, I just didn't, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I just didn't know. Listen, I think it depends on the individual very much so. I think some people learn better in real world circumstances with real world experience. And then I think some people learn better theoretically, you know, in, in the classroom type environment, in the, you know, the university type environment. I think the sooner you can come to that realization and the sooner you can develop that awareness as to which way you learn better as a person, the quicker you're going to be able to make that decision. Hmm. But it really is individual. I hesitate in giving a blanket answer to that and saying that, you know, definitely, you know, don't waste, you know, if you've got an entrepreneurial streak, don't waste your time at university. You need to get into the real world and do shit because regardless of if you have the streak or not, some people just learn better in a classroom environment. Some people learn better with theory rather than practice. So it's very individual and you have to kind of come to your own awareness as to the best way that you learn as an individual in order to make that decision. Yeah, that's a good point. The only thing is, is like obviously when people are going to union studying the theory side of business, as soon as you get into the real world, it's a whole, it's a whole different ball game. It is, but some people are going that, that theory is going to be so valuable to some people mm. that when it comes to apply it, they're going to be much better off having the theoretical knowledge than if they didn't. Yeah. So that's a good point. I guess that like I did my own way of doing it. Like I didn't go to university to study business, but I did like read a lot of books and, you know, call up people who have successful businesses and ask for, you know, their mistakes. And so I guess I kind of did my own university degree, like the way I learned personally, like the best is yeah, through experience and doing it myself in, in the real world instead of in a book. So but, but that's, 
Like there's no right or wrong way. That's that's you. That's the way that you learn. That's the way that I learn as well. But I only knew that in hindsight. You know, at the time, I thought that the theory was the way that I learned. I didn't know that real world was was my forte until I got into the real world. And by mm. then it was too late. True. Well, I wouldn't say too late. Still doing a pretty good job. <laughs> well, you know, never too late. But by then, I'd, you know, I'd spent the seven and a half years invested in that theoretical learning environment yeah. where I really shouldn't have. Yeah, no, no, that's a fair point. For those listening that are wanting to start a business and let's say they're in that, that middle ground or they're finishing uni and, or whatever it could be, what's your advice to them? What's something they should really, really consider? Oh, man. <laughs> I think you really just need to lean into your curiosities. Hmm. I think you need to lean into things that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable and pursue them and just kind of dig around a little bit and see where it, where it takes you. You know, so much of this is experience, Mario, and so much of it is so difficult to give generalized advice on because mm. everybody's so different. True. And I think that so much of it is just your own learned life experience, which is why I say lean into your curiosities, you know, lean into your vulnerabilities, go and take that chance, go and pursue that thing that, you know, is an itch that you need to scratch. You know, don't get too caught up in, uh, you know, what the consequences are at that point in time, because you just, you, you're just never going to know until after the fact. Mm. Yeah, see, that's, that's a good point. But like, I guess kind of your advice would be to, you know, whatever your passion is, follow that and give it a crack yeah. and then see how you go with that instead of like, I, I don't know, like, I feel like some people when they're wanting to start a business, look way too far into, you know, does this product fit into the market? Do I have the right team? Do I have the right legal structure instead of just jumping in? Yeah. So, yeah, like, you know, obviously that's the type of advice that like the, the advice that you said, you know, follow your curiosity and then go from there is, you know, very similar to what I did. So I can, uh, yeah. I respect that because it's important rather than overthinking the process. Because if you think too much, you'll never do it. Well, you know, the other thing as well, from a purely business perspective, a lot of the new business opportunities that are going to appear in the future haven't appeared yet. Mm. That's the nature of them being new business opportunities. So, you know, if you're too afraid to pursue something because you can't see how it's going to manifest into a profitable business opportunity or a business opportunity to the magnitude of what you think it should be, that's why it's a new business opportunity. So that's why one of the biggest traits that, that I have identified in so many successful entrepreneurs and so many successful business people is courage. Mm. And courage in the scope of being able to give all of your time and all of your effort and just being completely obsessed with something with no guarantee of success. True. There's no guarantee that it's going to work out. And I think that, you know, if you're the sort of person that overthinks opportunities and, you know, invests invest too much in, you know, what if this happens and how does this play out? And, you know, what happens down the road if this and how big is this market and, you know, so on and so forth. And that kind of, you know, real pure business theory. If you invest so much in that, that it prevents you from pursuing opportunities that you really want to pursue, it's a pretty good sign that you lack a bit of courage in the business sense. Mm. Because true bred entrepreneurs and really people with potential to become really good business people don't think like that. They think of the opportunity at that point in time and it feels good and they pursue it and they give everything they've got to it 
and they really don't give a fuck what happens after that. See, I, I love that. And I, and I think that's so true because it's, uh, yeah, like, like if, you're, if you don't have the courage to throw yourself into the deep end and just give it everything you got, regardless of the end result, then yeah. how are you going to know? Like you'll never know really unless you actually just do it. But yeah. the courage aspect is something that is so important instead of the analytical thinking of, is this the right market, et cetera, et cetera. Murray, when I, so when I finished my studies, right, so I, um, this is 2011, I, I had an honours degree in mechanical engineering, I had a first class honours degree in law, I had a job at one of the biggest oil and gas companies in the country, and if I wanted to continue with that job full time, they would have paid me between one hundred and fifty dollars and $200,000 a year in my first year, mm. right? I said that, no to that. How old were you then? 23? I was, uh, so this is 2011 and I was born in, uh, 85 to so 26. Okay. Yeah. Geez. That's pretty good. We get 26. So I said, no, I said, no, 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 no. I'm just going to push that to the side and I'm going to go and invest all of my time, all of my effort and particularly all of my money that, that at that point, all of the cash that I'd saved up from working all of it invested all of my money in a market that at that point in time, you got to remember this is, this is 2011, 2012. This is almost 10 years ago. That was really just bodybuilders. Mm. You know, now we look at supplements in 2020, it's a much bigger market. Very true. Interested in fitness, generally interested in health and wellbeing. You know, the market has really for supplements has exploded, but I didn't know that back then. I had no way of knowing that. Think about the amount of courage that it took for me as a 26-year-old who'd invested all of my adult life at that point in time in my professional careers to say, no, nah, don't want to go down that path. I'm going to go down this other path because it feels right. It would have taken a lot of courage. But how did you reach that stage? Like that's something that, you know, I think a lot of people can take a lot of valuable insight from like you got to that stage and you said screw it i'm just going all in like what made you do that was it the, the whole situation of having regret when you're older 100 percent. okay so you suggest when ever, anyone like feels afraid to take a, a chance or a risk to actually question themselves and say will i be happy at the end of my life man i vividly remember i had a conversation with my dad about it and i you know i said to my dad i'm like you know i want to make this decision you know, I, I want to pursue this because I just, you know, it's just, it's a curiosity, but it's really difficult for me because I know what I'm turning my back on. Mm. And for me at the time, you know, it wasn't even the, the career or, you know, the potential salary or any of that. It was the fact that I'd invested so much time, you know, seven and a half years in the study. And I felt like I wasn't going to get return on that time investment. Mm. So that was the big thing for me. But what got me over the line, you know, I remember this conversation with my dad vividly. He encouraged me to have the courage to go and scratch the itch because if I didn't do it now, I was never going to do it. Mm. And then it becomes regret. Very good point. It sounds like you came from an excellent family and they encouraged you to, to chase your own passions rather than creating a, a life for you. Absolutely. I was, I was uh, very fortunate to be raised by my parents. Let's put it that way. Definitely. Definitely. 
No, that's uh, that's amazing. It's it's this whole conversation with you today. You know, I I've learned a lot from it, and I'm sure that anyone that listens and brings out their journal and takes notes will learn a lot from it as well. Joe, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. And if people want to reach you, how can they get in contact with you? Uh, probably the best place is well, I mean, the easiest place is just to Google my name, Google Joseph Mansell, yeah. and then you know my personal Instagram will come up, my Facebook page, all of the all of my business pages will probably come up there as well. Um, but if you want to uh, check me out on Instagram in particular, at Joseph Mansell, just my name, one word, at J O S E P H M E N C E L. Definitely, definitely. And anyone wanting to buy any supplements, go on his website, massivejoes.com and definitely place an order with him. He'll look after you and even, uh, you personally sign a few things these days, don't you, as well? Like you write yeah, notes? Yeah, absolutely. I get, I get asked to, yeah, I get asked to like sign tubs of protein and t-shirts and all that sort of thing. So more than happy to do it as always. Oh, fantastic. Well, again, Joe, thank you so much for your time, dude. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure that, you know, I'll keep on your back and asking you questions as much as possible. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. I've really enjoyed it. No worries, man. Thank you so much. And there you have it, folks. I hope that you all got some serious value out of that episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share the love by subscribing, sharing it with a friend and leaving a review. If you're wanting to reach out or stay up to date with us, check out our Facebook and Instagram page at Spark Tennis Oz. See you next week.